Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This podcast has certainly given me the opportunity to build a vast network of great coaches and to learn some of the details that make them successful and share them with you, the listener. And this is one of my favorites from the past. Again, a lot of these that I re-air here, if you weren't listening in the first couple of years, you probably missed them, but this is one I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to learn from. This one is with Pete Shinnick, the head football coach at West Florida. He's done a tremendous job there. Took the program to five and six, turned it around, and brought the team to a national championship. It's also earned him AFCA Division II Coach of the Year honors. So here's my first interview with Pete Shinnick, head football coach at West Florida. I'm excited to be joined today by Division II AFCA Coach of the Year, national runner-up in Division II head football coach at West Florida. Pete Shinnick. Coach, great to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Very excited to be with you. Coach, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you've done at West Florida, because it's something that hasn't been done before. Um, You're the quickest from starting a program to a national championship. That process began four years ago when you didn't even have players. Uh, Talk to us about how you moved from zero to the top of the game and, and getting to the national championship? Well, long, it was very long, you know, drawn out process. And so a tremendous amount of work by my coaching staff and then our players uh, to really have great vision and, you know, really stay true to the course of what we were trying to accomplish. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I came to West Florida, I had been at the University of North Carolina, Pembroke, for eight years and we started the program from scratch there as well and in our third year we made the playoffs so we did have a formula for what this looked like we did have an idea as to how we could you know take a program and grow it and get it to a place uh, where it could have success and you know the thing that I probably uh, you know give a, a lot of credit to is our administration and our athletic director uh, just really helping us achieve what we were able to do in 2017. Uh, Dave Scott, our AD, did a fantastic job of laying the groundwork, helping us get done what we needed to get done, how we needed it to get done. 
and, um, you know, put us in a position to do that. And then really, you know, once all that's in place, what I foresaw and, you know, the vision that I had was just create a great culture in our program that was really built on positive energy, built on unity, and built on smart, hard work. And those are our core values, smart, hard work, positive energy, unity. And everything that we do really is going to circle around those actions and those beliefs and play that out in every guy and every coach and in every, uh, you know, thing that we're doing. And, you know, we, we really wanted to get better, um, obviously, in 2017 from 16. But in 2016, we started pretty hot. I mean, we were, we were five and three going into our last three games and then really ran out of gas. And a lot of that had to do with um, our young guys not knowing what it took to play a whole season. So for a team in 16 to really be dead tired, exhausted, have nothing left to finish the season, and then for that you know, same team basically in 2017 to be able to play 15 games, great testimony to our players understanding what needed to take place and then our coaches to put those guys in position because a phenomenal transformation uh, took place over the course of one year. So, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of planning, uh, a lot of adjustments to plans, uh, but obviously very excited about the end result to get our team to the national championship in our second year. Coach, that process obviously takes a lot of vision. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the, the groundwork, the foundation had to be strong, and, and a lot of people contributed to that. But the foundation of this probably started years back. You know, you had the opportunity to lead this. Let's talk a little bit about your growth and your journey as a coach. And first of all, starting with what was it that, that uh, sparked your interest in coaching? And, and, you know, think about that moment when you said, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I grew up in a football family. So my dad played 13 years in the NFL with the Baltimore Colts, played from 1957 to 1969. And then he got into coaching right after that. And really from about 70 until 90, 1970 to 1990, he, he coached. So I had an opportunity to, you know, be in and out of meetings on the sideline watch coaches engage with players, see what it looked like, and really have the opportunity to see the type of impact that my dad was having. And I give my dad a tremendous amount of credit just for the influence that he's had on my life because of how he interacted with his players, because of how he treated players in other positions, and how he conducted himself. And that's really what sparked in me the desire to coach. Now, I went to college at the University of Colorado and uh, played football there. I've got three brothers who played D1 football. I had a brother play at UCLA, Penn State, and Hawaii. So, obviously, football was in our blood. But when I, went to, when I went to Colorado, I don't know that I necessarily said, yeah, I'm getting into coaching. That's what I want to do. But as I looked at different avenues of, uh, you know, what my future would look like, they all seemed to come back to coaching. And my junior year is really when I made the decision that this is what I want to do. And this is, you know, where I want to spend the rest of my life doing uh, is in the coaching profession. 
And so was fortunate enough, you know, to get a volunteer job at the University of Richmond uh, under Dal Sheely, and then was able to become a GA at Arkansas under Ken Hatfield. He left and went to Clemson. And really my career from there, got, got the recruiting coordinator job at Oregon State, and then coached at Northern Michigan and St. Cloud State and Humboldt State. And then got my first head coaching job at Azusa Pacific at age 33 and, you know, left Azusa Pacific after seven years and, you know, went and started the program at UNC Pembroke and then came here four years ago. So my, my philosophy, you know, my understanding of football really is rooted in my father. And then obviously Bill McCartney and his Mm -hmm. coaching staff, Les Miles was my position coach. Jerry DiNardo was a coach on that staff, very influential. Uh, and then my time with Ken Hatfield. And really, those years really put me in the position where I feel like I'm at now. And then, obviously, you adjust and grow to, you know, different type of guys you're coaching. So I, I, I was very fortunate to have, uh, you know, the upbringing that I did. But then, you know, I think even more so, uh, just really, you know, great men who did it the right way. <laughs> that's a, an impressive list there, Coach, of, of guys who uh, really helped you shape you know, yourself as a coach. What were some of the lessons? You know, looking back on it, if you, if you were to pick out two or three lessons you learned uh, along the way that really impacted, you know, your growth as a coach, then obviously to be able to step into a leadership opportunity like this at a, a, a new football program. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of the main things that I think my dad did a great job was is never forget what it's like to be a player. Um, you, you know, as a coach, you're out there in a T-shirt and a hat and some shorts, and it's 105 degrees, and you're coaching guys who are in a helmet, shoulder pads, thigh pads, girdle, you, you know, all those types of things. But my dad was very clear, never forget what it's like to be a player. Never forget what it's like, you know, those guys, you know, they're working, they're going. Remember what that's like. And always keep that in mind as you're approaching your schedule, as you're approaching your teaching, your install, and your, you know, progression in what you're doing. And then also that, you know, I think from the coaches that I was around, uh, looking at them, how they, you know, how they handled themselves on the sideline and how they handled themselves with players. I think we've got a phenomenal opportunity as coaches to really positively impact young men uh, in this profession. And we can do a lot of good or we can do a lot of damage, uh, just depending on our approach and how we do it. And I, I want to be somebody who's doing, you know, tremendous amount of positive, you know, impact on guys as opposed to negatively impact. And so your words matter and your construction matters. And are we making these guys better? And really what it's, you know, what it's come down to is uh, from the guys that I, you know, took from, was, you know, am I just giving these guys instructions or am I motivating and inspiring them to be better husbands and fathers, employers, employees? And so we can put a good football program out there, but what type of person are we developing? And that's really what's kind of driven me since I've been a head coach for 20 years. You know, our number one goal for the program is help each guy really become a better person. That's what we're trying to do. Coach, you mentioned, you know, never forgetting what it's like to, to be a player. Uh, you've mentioned, you know, teaching them, yeah. instructing them. And obviously the bigger goal uh, outside of football is to have this great vehicle with the game to to drive them to uh, be better people. So we'll kind of get into what you do on your culture in a second. But I do want to focus on that, 
teaching part. And, uh, you know, since uh, I'm, I'm close to your age, the way we learned the game uh, is distinctly different. And in, in, in general, the way these kids are learning today is distinctly different than how we learned. And a lot of it has been the technology. Um, you know, before you guys hit the field, you have those classroom opportunities. What are you, what are you doing within those sessions that you um, feel is, is really connecting with the players and helping them learn their assignments, learn what they need to do to go out there and execute at an elite level? Well, first off, I mean, you're right. Technology has changed uh, how we approach this and what takes place. And so, uh, you know, when I went to the University of Colorado, they handed me a three-inch thick binder uh, with, you know, probably 400 plates in there or whatever it was uh, on a bunch of diagrams that were hand-drawn. And, you know, I'm looking to see where the line of the guard was to know, you know, who I was supposed to block, um, you know, on this play. So we don't hand out a playbook anymore. Uh, the majority of our teaching is really video related through, you know, video and graphics and diagrams, interactive uh, teaching. And we're trying to, uh, you know, connect with a generation that is viewing you know, 90% of their material on their phones and, you know, on their computers. And so trying to make something that is attractive to them while also interactive and also teachable is really, you know, the challenge that I think we face each year. And then the second thing is you've got to know the young men that you're coaching to understand what their learning style is and how they assimilate the information that you're giving them. And so as we look at it, some guys, you know, can sit in the room and get everything that you uh, say. Other guys, you know, you've got to voice over uh, to give them exactly what the information is. And then some guys, you got to make them write it down. And so our job as coaches is to not get frustrated uh, with the guys that you got to make it uh, and, you know, have them write it down, but to know who needs to do that and coach them up to do it. Everybody learns differently. Everybody grasps material uh, in a different way. Our job is to figure out, you know, how these guys learn. So the game and technology has advanced. I mean, guys can go watch all our games. They can watch our cut-ups, you know, things that you used to have to go into the coach's office, uh, you know, to get the reel and, you know, watch it. It's on their phones now. So we've taken advantage of technology. We've made it available to our guys so that by the time we have our first practice, they already know everything that we're going to do. And really our, our meetings, we, we start spring ball uh, on Saturday. Uh, our first meeting is really going to be review with a lot of guys because they already understand what the offense is, what the defense is and, and how we're putting it in. And they already have it available through uh, their computer and through their apps. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing when you think about that, the opportunity you have. And I know years ago, um, I was was turned on to the idea, you know, classroom method called flip flip learning um, with the idea that uh, you can teach a lot outside the classroom. Um, you think about this, you know, the coach standing up in the meeting room presenting, uh, you can't rewind him. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, in general, right. we tell those guys all the time, stop me, ask questions. But I mean, it's just the human nature to not really interject in those situations as much as you would like to. So. Um, it's the opportunity to really get those guys knowing the material come in and, and kind of do it. You know, I've, I've seen some very creative ways with guys, what they're doing out there with additional technology like virtual reality in those situations. I know 
there's a there's a coach and actually I saw a video on Twitter the other day where they're using poker chips to you know just players working with each other going through things so that idea of, of just being interactive with them finding the different ways they learn I think is a huge opportunity and it, it really goes back to forming those connections as well because if if we start with these guys in the classroom and we don't connect because we don't understand how they learn, we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure in that relationship, you know, and developing that belief and trust in what we're doing when, coach, man, I, I don't understand what you're saying. So um, I applaud you on, on utilizing the technology. And obviously, I think the key thing you said is understanding how guys learn because that, that becomes part of uh, our culture as well. Well, no, and you mentioned we do, I mean, we call it flip coaching. Obviously, it started as flip teaching, mm-hmm. uh, but we call it flip coaching. And so I would, I would encourage anybody listening to, you know, Google that and take a look at it because it really does put uh, a lot more on the individual to learn what we're asking them to and then come to the meeting as opposed not necessarily learn it, but they need to now ask questions from what we've already presented to them. It takes a little more time on the front end for coaches because they're putting out uh, you know, some videos here and there and instruction wise, but it's been a great tool for us really going into fall camp for our freshmen and, you know, them having the opportunity to learn on their own. Like you said, rewind, play it back, hear the voiceover, and then come into the meeting room and go, hey, you know, verse cover three, you know, we do this. Or if they line up in trips, my adjustment is this, as opposed to, you know, you're teaching everything from scratch, and then we're going to go run out there on the field and expect them to be great at it. So great teaching tool. And then, again, I, I would reiterate, you got to know how you guys learn. you you, you got to know what they're – you can't expect everybody to, uh, you know, you wave your finger and you draw, you draw something on air about, you know, two out of ten guys are going to be able to get that. The other eight are going to need it drawn someplace else. And, you know, what's important for us in pressure situations is, you know – in a game, if a guy's a visual learner and you're giving him a voiceover instruction, you might want to have a you might want to have a whiteboard available to draw for that guy because yeah. he might not get it. And now you're gonna you're gonna come down to trying to teach a visual learner off a verbal cue in a pressure situation in a game. You better know how your guys learn so that you're able to communicate that to them when the pressure's on. Absolutely, that's a great point, Coach. Uh, <laughs> you bring him to the sideline. You, you you need to know very quick how to communicate, and uh, you don't you, you make a great point there. You don't want to do it in a way that is um, really not relevant to their understanding because they're going to go out there and, and not be able to execute the adjustment you wanted. Correct. Well, Coach, four years ago, no players. Um, the, the process starts for you. We talked about the groundwork, but um, – I know from having recruited Florida, Florida is rich with talent. In fact, as a, a college coach, that was um, you know that was my recruiting territory. I begrudgingly volunteered for that opportunity to get out of Cleveland, Ohio, and get to Florida in uh, <laughs> yeah. December through March. <laughs> what what comes first in that process? Is it finding the talent and then fitting them into a culture, or finding the the culture, setting the culture, and then finding the talent that fits that culture? Well, yeah. I, first off, I mean, our culture was defined because, you know, I, I've been a head coach for 16 years. Right. And so that had been established by what I wanted to accomplish and what 
you, you know, I knew I'm comfortable coaching and what I knew I was comfortable dealing with from a player personnel type as well as the coaching staff. And so when I, when I originally came uh, here, four of my five full-time coaches had been with me at UNC Pembroke. And so that obviously helped create the culture. Um, but uh, we were going to do things the way we had done things and the way we had had success. It's what I believe in, and it's what I firmly feel, um, you know, fits. And so with that being said, then obviously you, you have to identify talent. And, uh, you know, if a guy can't play, then, you know, he might be a great kid and he might be a great student, but if he can't play at the level that we're looking at, you know, we're going to get fired. And so athletic evaluation is crucial mm-hmm. to what we're looking for. Now, if he's a bad person or a bad, first of all, a bad student's not getting into the University of West Florida. I think we have the highest academic standards of any playing, you know, any um, football playing institution in our conference. Uh, you know, we don't let, you know, just D2 qualifiers in, which a lot of the teams in our conference do. But we don't mind that because we know we're getting a good kid. We know we're getting somebody who's serious about getting a degree. And so once we identify athletically what we're looking for, and we've got different specs at every position as to what we're trying to accomplish, then we find out, does he meet our academic standard? Then we want to know what type of person he is. And my staff has done a fantastic job, really, of kind of uh, alleviating the guys and um, weeding out the guys that don't fit the character of what we're trying to uh, build here. And every coach that recruits understands if he's recruiting a DB for our defensive coordinator and DB coach, Darian Doolin, he knows what Darian Doolin wants in his meeting room. And he understands what he has in that meeting room. And if he's got a, you know, uh, he, he's got a group that gets it and understands it. We're trying to bring in as many of those guys as possible. And so we understand the culture of our program, but more importantly, we understand what each room looks like. And so if you've got a room that's, that's great and high in leadership and all that, you might be able to take a guy who, um, you know, hasn't been uh, at the top of all the things but could really uh, benefit from being in a culture like ours. But if you already got two or three guys like that in the room, then that room can't handle that mm-hmm. because then that room could get turned. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's definitely so, a balance. So we're, most definitely. And, and I mean, a, a, a balance that's almost, you know, 90, 10, uh, as opposed to 50, 50, you're, you're, you're looking for 90% of your group to be where, where you want it. But if, if guys in the recruiting process, and you know, I'm not going to go into all the keys that we look for, but if guys in the recruiting process don't meet up to our standards, you know, how they communicate, what it's like when we do our one-on-one with them in the school, what they're like on the phone, you know, what their, what their social media pages look like, then they may be on our recruiting board. And I'm like, hey, we liked him athletically. Yeah, coach, he doesn't fit what we're looking for. Okay, on to the next guy. I trust each of our coaches' evaluation of those players from a character, program, culture fit-wise. But obviously, it all starts with athletic ability. Then it goes to can they get into school. And for the most part, we're looking for a 3.0 and a 21 on the ACT. So, 
you know, we're, we're, we're looking for a pretty high-end academic uh, young man. Our school has, you know, high standards. And so with that, you know, then he's got to be the right fit. And we, I, I think what's made us, so I know what's made us and what gave us the opportunity to play for the national championship in our second year is we've got a lot of like-minded young men uh, who have bought into the way we're doing things. Coach, obviously, to get to the top, you need the elite talent. Uh, you need the elite culture as well. And really, you know, that coupled with, obviously, a great strategy, I think all those things together uh, uh, really work. I know I hear a lot of guys right now, the buzzword is culture, and it certainly starts with culture. But you need those things as well. We talked about the talent acquisition. Um, you know, the, the strategy we'll get into in a little bit. But let's focus on that culture right now. And tell us what the, really the pillars are of your culture. Well, it's, it's really, you know, good people doing good things. And so going back to our core values, unity, positive energy, and smart, hard work. I would say this about our 2017 team. I wouldn't say we were more talented than anybody that we played. And I would actually say that some of the people we played were more talented, but, and, you know, I think, I think everybody we played felt they could have beat us, but our team believed they could beat anybody we played. And we, we showed them what their best looked like and we showed them what they were capable of. And then they went out and wanted to perform at that level. They went out and wanted to play at that level. And then as, uh, as our coaches, found out what that level looked like, held them to it, but then also called plays accordingly to put them in the position they needed to be to play at that high level. So it really is a multi-layered, you know, piece of, you know, work that took place throughout the course of 2017 for us. And, you know, we were, we were five and three at the end of 2016 and lost our last three games. And the last two teams we played beat us 120 to three. And then we were five and three. One of our games got canceled. We've got two games left playing those two teams that beat us 120 to three. And Monday before the first game or our, you know, of our, of the end of our season, you know, I'm up there telling our guys, we've got what it takes to, to beat these last two teams. We've got what it takes to, finish this season strong. And I told him, I said, look, I believe that this 2017 team is much better than the 2016 team. But right now we're five and three. This is where we were last year. We've got to finish strong to have some evidence that shows that. And I mean, we went out team that beat us 51 to three. We beat them 31 to uh, seven. And then a team that beat us 69 to nothing. We went out and beat them 34 to 31. So, we really had a team that bought into everything that we were telling them. We really had a team that believed in what we were trying to accomplish. And so it says a lot for who those guys are. It says a lot for what we were trying to sell. But at the same time, it really, you know, came down to our coaches, setting them up for success, putting them in a position where they could be successful and giving them the opportunity to do that. Coach, I know you, you really make a focus in your culture on those relationships, how you treat each other in creating the unity uh, amongst your players and staff. Talk to us a little bit about 
you know, your philosophy on that as well as the execution of those things, especially as you get into things like you're, you're going into right now spring ball and then summer camp? Sure. And, you know, I, I, I think for us, you know, we, we created core values. And until, you, until they execute at the level you want them to be, they're really projected values that you're trying to put on your program. So when we came in, we called them core values, but really we were just projecting that, hey, we wanted positive energy and we wanted smart, hard work and we wanted unity. But until you go out and execute that, you know what I mean? It's really, it's really just projected values. Does that make sense? So for us, unity is a huge, huge deal because I'm a firm believer if you believe in a guy and you trust a guy, you support a guy, the more you do that, then the more you're going to care. And once we, get, once we get this generation to care about each other, we, we got an opportunity to accomplish a lot of great things. So everything we do is based to get our guys to know each other, to get our guys to understand each other, and to get our guys familiar with each other. So in spring ball – Every time we do a combo drill, every time we do a team drill, every time we do something where an offensive player goes against the defensive player or the D-line and the linebackers work together or the running backs and the quarterbacks work together, when that session ends, we're going to thank each other. We're going we're, we're gonna to shake a hand, high-five, hug a guy, whatever we're going to do. And that's really just to get offense, defense, position groups together. And then we spend a lot of time in fall camp making each guy get in a group of about 10 to 12 guys and tell their life story and get to hear where a guy's from and get to hear who his hero is, to get to hear what a hardship was, to get to hear what uh, his strengths are, to get to hear, uh, you know, what he wants to do in his future. And we just, we carve out time, you know, and that's time we could be spending, you know, talking about the inside zone or talking about cover three or whatever, but we're going to take the time to get to know each other. And we're going to take time to invest in each other. And then, you know, we, we do certain things. We'll challenge guys who knows who and how many guys can name everybody on the team and how many guys can name every guy on the team and then, you know, say where they're from and all that type of stuff just to continue to, you know, get interaction and get people talking and get people understanding. So unity to me is, you know, the key to what took place. And I think if you watch our sidelines, and you watch the energy that our guys have in practice, it's because they're excited about the next guy doing well. Uh, we have great competition within, uh, you know, DBs and wide receivers. But when game time comes, you know, the DBs are loving the wide receivers and the wide receivers are loving the DBs and excited when those guys are making big plays. So that all starts. I mean, it's not something that just happens. It's something that we work at, and it's something that we spend a lot of time doing, and it's paid great dividends for it. Coach, I think the, the, the biggest thing, you talk about those things, obviously, building that trust, building that belief, those are things that translate onto the field. I know a lot of us, when we're looking at culture, we think about the end result, which is we want to impact young men in, in a positive way. Uh, we want this to be a great experience. We cannot... <laughs> step over that part that exists on the field. We need to show them excellence on the field. And it, and it begins with unity. It begins with things that build belief, build trust, not just amongst the players, but with the coaching staff as well. I mean, we have a, 
you know, there, there's a lot of challenges in the game. There's a lot of challenges within, you know, the time that we have to do those things that uh, the NCAA, in your case, allows. How important is it that anything you do with culture really also be directed towards what's happening on the field? Oh, most definitely. And I, and I think I, um, you know, I, I don't know how the two aren't interrelated and I don't know how, I don't know how you go about doing anything. And so w- without those two being interrelated, and I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, from my dad, my, my dad coached a lot of great players. He coached three or four guys that are in the hall of fame, you know, in Dick Buckus and Andre Tippett and, uh, you, you know, some, some pretty good football players. And with, with that being said, I never heard my dad cuss, and I never heard my dad demean a guy, and I never heard my dad degrade a guy. And now I heard my dad yell at players and, you know, get their attention and things, but none of it was personal. You know, and I think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, stand up in front of their teams and go, hey, you know, when we correct you, it's not personal. Well, if it's not personal, then don't don't compare them to how you know. I've heard coaches say how dumb guys are, how you know how weak they are. How well, if it's not personal, then don't use personal terms. We don't use personal terms, okay? And we don't degrade guys, and we also don't use profanity. And so for us, and again, I, I've been a head coach twenty years. We've been doing it that way for twenty years. For us, we're trying to get a guy to play at his ultimate best. And we're trying to figure out ways to communicate that to him. Uh, Gary Barnett, who was our uh, running back coach, quarterback coach at the University of Colorado, went on to become the head coach at Northwestern. You know, he's the guy who took the purple to Pasadena and then finished up at Colorado. He's one of the first guys that I ever heard just talk to players in a different way. And, you know, before it was, hey, don't fumble. You can't be fumbling the ball. For him, he was hold on to the ball, secure the ball. He was going to paint a positive picture in a guy's mind. That stuck with me. You know, I've been in uh, and I've been around practices where, you know, guys are saying, hi, your hands are like stone. Your hands are like bricks. You know, we tell the guy, catch the ball, see it in, see it in and, you know, be there for it. So everything that we're doing is trying to create a positive picture. Now again, you take out you take out players cussing, you take out a lot of the degrading, you know, of guys calling guys out and guys saying things. Now you got a lot of opportunity to impact and a lot of opportunity to influence in a practice. And so, you know, part of our rules are, uh, hey, we're not going to cuss and we're going to treat each other the right way. Absolutely, and I really have always believed in that too. Um, I think it's something my dad taught. My dad was a, a football coach as well. Uh, at the high school level and, and really taught me a lot about visualization and, um, you know, creating a positive picture. And I was always cautious of any of our coaches and especially myself using that negative language, that don't language, don't do this, don't do that, and framing things out in a different way. So something positive is always coming out of your mouth. Something affirmative is always coming out of your mouth. And, and I think, like you said, never, ever, uh, really attack the, the, the person you're talking about performance and again, keeping it even positive in those situations as well. No. And, and the other part I'd add to that, I think, which gets lost and um, you know, I'm guilty of it uh, and I got to remind myself and I got to remind my staff, but if you meet right before you practice, okay. You know, what, what are you showing them right before they go out? 
if, if you show them all the negative right before they go out, that's probably what they're thinking about during stretching. That's probably what they're thinking about during individual. I mean, you've obviously got to correct, and you've obviously got to show the negative and get better at it. But how you frame your meeting, if your meeting is right before practice, I think is vital to the productivity and the positivity that you're going to get out there. Cover the negatives early. Send them out with what a great visual looks like. Send them out with a positive play. Send them out with them doing something spectacular. Hey, now let's go out and practice. And while they're stretching, they're like, man, I just I made a great play. I can do this. I can make it go as opposed to, dang, uh, I got to fix this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think how we frame things, the timing of things, very important to creating what you're looking for on the field. Coach, let's uh, get a little bit into the strategy side of it. And, you know, you've you've primarily, you know, been a, a guy who, who really likes the offensive side of the ball over the course of your career. So, you know, in the day and age of, of uh, a lot of branded things, a lot of guys are naming their offenses this or that. But uh, give us a description of what your offense is, you know, with I guess with so our, our listeners can understand what you guys are trying to do on the field. Sure, we are. I mean, we're probably, you know, for modern day term, you know, we're a spread offense. We like to describe ourselves really as multi-formational offense that is, number one, going to take what the defense gives us. And so we do incorporate some checks. We do incorporate uh, some RPOs. But really, we're, we're just trying to play smart football. And last year, we threw the ball 517 times and we ran the ball 512. So I'd say we're pretty balanced. Yeah. Okay? But with that, that that is not necessarily something that our offensive staff uh, tries to do. That is not something that we sit here and say, hey, you know, at the end of the day, if we're going to run, you know, 80 plays, 40 of them got to be runs and 40 of them got to be passes. At the end of the day, we want to take what the defense gives us. And so – um, you know, our, uh, I, I think it, it was, it was right before the, right before the national championship game, we played a team that consistently put six people in the box and we had been throwing the ball pretty well up till that and really hadn't run the ball. Great. You know, we, we ended up rushing for the highest that we've ever rushed for, but it was, we just kept calling it and they kept keeping six in the box. Well, uh, we were pretty good if you can get, you know, a hat on a hat. I mean, that, that was something that I thought our offense did well. That game, we didn't throw the ball much. Uh, the week before, we ended up throwing the ball more. The week after, we ended up throwing the ball more. But it, we really do have a take-what-the-defense-gives-us mentality. Coach, with um, with your personnel, what are the two or three that you really focus on? And, you know, this is probably what we look like from the people we're putting on the field. Yeah, we want to be we want to be an eleven personnel team and a ten personnel team, and that's really based on our personnel right now. I've been doing the offense for a while, and Jamie Deese, our offensive coordinator, has been with me now. I think going on eleven years, and you know we've done this offense where it's been a twelve personnel offense, it's been a twenty personnel, but we try to recruit to eleven and ten personnel. Those are the majority of the sets that we're doing. And we want to be multi-formational in that. We want to be able to put stuff into the boundary. We want to be able to do unbalanced. We want to be able to run your three-by-ones and your two-by-twos, all different combinations of that uh, with the tight end on the line, with the tight end in flex, with the tight end in the backfield. 
So we're gonna we're gonna try to present as many different looks as we possibly can uh, to the team defensively, and then let them try to figure out what we're trying to do. What's the key for your guys being able to have something that is obviously um, the the appearance to the defense is very complex, but it's easy for your guys to learn that it's it's not a burden of learning that slows them down on the field. Yeah, we don't do, and I think once. I think after people have played us, you know, we're going on some of the teams in our conference because we played two of them in the playoffs. You know, we're playing, we played them three times in our two year existence. We don't do a lot from schematical sense, but we do a lot from where your eyes need to be defensively and how we get to it. And so for our players, they know that everything comes back to the core or one of our core plays. We throw in, you know, a motion. We throw in a trade. We throw in a stack formation. We, they know that all that is is we're going to get back to the core base play. I still got to get to the same play. Mm-hmm. And we have about five core plays that in the passing game that we try to, you know, maximize. And then in the running game, we're going to run outside zone. We're going to run a gap, and we primarily live off the inside zone. Well, we can run it out of all these formations. We can run it out of all these looks, and it really is simple to our players. But I think it. I mean, we we, we try to analyze ourselves a lot. I mean, you're not quite sure where we're coming from, and you're not quite sure what we're trying to uh, to get at, and everything kind of balances itself. So I think that's been one of the keys is presenting a bunch of different looks, but our players adapt to it very well. And then I think, I think one of the keys that we've done, and we've really done this over the years is we don't give, you know, we don't give the O line, you know, 50 things that they've got to know. We we, we try to get our O line good at what they do. And then we'll put the pressure on the quarterback and the running back. Hey, on this one, let's do a pump fake or fake this or do that and add to it that it kind of looks like our inside zone or looks like our gap scheme, but then let's come back and do this. Simple for those guys to do because they don't have as many responsibilities, but really trying to keep the offensive line in a position where they can be successful week in and week out because they're the ones who are seeing a two-eye, you know, a, a shade, a three, and they got to be able to figure all that stuff out. Coach, how much has the RPO uh, become part of your offense? You know, it's, it's, it's there. I don't know that we used it as much as, you know, as a lot of people, but it has created some nice opportunities for us. And the other thing that it's done, whether we're throwing the ball or not, uh, it's really made the defense, you know, have to account for a pass almost every play. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gets those DBs tired. So I don't know that we're sitting here as an offensive staff going, we're a huge RPO team and, you know, we're doing that. We'll call certain plays that have passes along with a run. And, you know, some of them just became where we're getting the defense tired. We're still running the ball. But I don't know that it's a, it's a huge part of what we do, but it, it, it's blended in nicely. Mm-hmm. Coach, I know before we got going, we were talking about a gap scheme that you have, and it, it ties in very well with your zone. Um, but it's a little bit different in that, uh, you, you know, typically in a gap scheme, you're going to kick someone out. You guys have something that uh, you don't have the kickoff block in, and, and you're able to utilize this, like you said, in 
in multiple personnel and multiple formation settings. Yeah, really what we what we wanted to get to, and I think, you know, a lot of people run the power and then a lot of people run the, the you know, the counter. And, you know, I've run both of them over the years. And, you know, what became frustrating with both those plays was, you know, defenses got really, really good at wrong arming, got really, really good at blowing up that puller. And, you know, it, those plays are great when that end plays wide and you create this nice gap up in there, so to speak. What we do differently, which times up and, you know, makes it easy for our tackles is, you know, we, we base front side with our tackle and that allows him to do the same thing that he's doing on inside zone. And then we'll pull the guard to wrap for the linebacker and we'll pull the tight end backside to wrap for the backside linebacker. And really it gave us cleaner angles and it gave us cleaner blocks because now you don't have a crashing D end coming and trying to blow up that pulling guard, or you don't have that crashing D end blow up that fullback who's coming from two yards deep in the backfield, trying to inside out this guy. Mm -hmm. So by keeping the tackle on both those plays really became uh, you know, pretty good combos for us that matched up with our inside zone. And then we do an inside zone where our backside tackle stays and our tight end comes up inside, kind of looks like the gap. So we, we've had some good success with that. And really, again, trying to keep it as simple as we can on the offensive line where, you, you know, you're not spending, you know, 10 minutes of Indy, you know, for that pulling guard uh, or that fullback trying to get, you know, the right angle on this guy. We're still doing other stuff that we do and fits in with our zone game. Coach, uh, is, is that one you would attach an RPO to? We do, yeah, and we've had success with that as well. What, uh, what might that play look like? I know we don't have the ability to draw things up on the chalkboard right here, but uh, can you take us through you know, the formation and, I guess, uh, key coaching points along the way for that play? Yeah, so, yeah, very, very simple. Three wide receivers set with the tight end in the backfield in a wing position. Okay, so two wide receivers to the field or to the boundary. We do it both ways. Or so let's just go two wide receivers to the field, one wide receiver to the boundary. The tight end is in a wing to the field. And now we're going to run the gap back to the boundary. And so our field guard is going to pull and our tight end is going to follow. And then depending on, because we do it both ways, depending on which way our quarterback opens, where the back is, We've either got a slant or an out by the wide receiver to the boundary, or we've got a slant or a hitch to the wide receiver in the slot to the field. And it all just depends on which way we open up, you know, and which way we want to run it. So we're always trying to, you know, create a gap and a seam for where we're trying to throw with that. And then the quarterback, you know, he's reading the linebacker to the field or he's reading the boundary safety and seeing if we have the void to throw the ball. With with uh, the setup of that play, you got the guard coming through, you got the, the tight end H-back, the guy off the line coming through. What's their coaching point as they, they come up through the gap to be able to sort that out for the two guys? Yeah, what we want to do is for the guard, we want him to get his head on the inside, and then for the – so he wants to come inside out on that block and then for the tight end, we want him to get as much of that linebacker as possible 
and the back can read off of that to see the direction that he needs to go. And so, you know, we're going to study all week long where that safety fills, what the angle is that we're trying to do. And so, you know, there, there are certain things that week to week are going to change on that. But for the most part, if we can get that guard inside out, you know, and that means now that linebacker's crashing down, where's that safety filling to determine whether we're throwing or handing the ball off? Coach, when I was reading up and doing a little research for this interview, I, I read in, in an article online the, the credit you gave to everybody in your program for receiving this award. And, you know, I think it's, it's great how you view that, that so many people contribute to those things. And, you know, we've talked a lot of, about the, just the great things you're doing in your program to build this. Um, but if I were to put you on the spot and say, coach, you got to pick one thing that you guys do that really gives you the winning edge that really allowed you to excel and, and, and get to the national championship game, what would that be? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go two things, okay? So, I mean, because I, I think and they, they play together. But I would say our unity is, is what got us to where uh, we were able to play 15 games and play them well, guys believing in each other. And then number two, on the field, um, we, we played as good of team football uh, as I've ever been around. And what I mean by that is when the defense got a turnover, the offense was going to score the majority of the time. When – we got a great kickoff return. Uh, the offense was going to go get points. Um, when when we punted the ball deep, our our defense was going to pin them. We, we played great field position football, great team football. In 2016, we were the worst team in the country in turning the ball over. We turned the ball over more than anybody else in Division Two. And in 2017, we fumbled four times down from, I think, 16 in 2016. And, you, you know, we just played great team football. We, we, we fed off each other. But I think it goes back to our unity, and I think it goes back to our belief in each other. Coach, uh, it's a, a great thing you guys are doing there in Florida. I'm jealous of the weather right now, even though you said it's a cold 57 degrees. Uh, what, oh, um... yeah. People are bundled up, man. People are bundled <laughs> up with that 57 now. You know, it, it'll get up to 61, and you know, maybe somebody will take this jacket off. I don't know. <laughs> How can I? I would love to come there and just see you guys practice. But uh, in, in the world uh, today, we're able to get access to each other through social media and other things. So how can our coaches, our listeners um, get in contact with you if they want to learn more about the things you guys do? Yeah, you know, goargos.com, that's our website. And I think all our Twitter information, all our coaches' information is on there. And so, you know, guys have questions, send me an email. Just, you know, say, hey, I listened to it. Uh, but you go to goargos.com, all our info is up there, all our Twitter handles, all our social media stuff. And, you know, you can learn about the Argos and learn about what we're doing. Coach, I really appreciate your time on the podcast and uh, look forward to see what you guys do here in 2018. Thank you. Appreciate you having us on. Well, there's my first interview with Coach Shinnick. We did another one about a year ago, and I'll put the link to that one in the show notes. Again, just an incredible coach doing an incredible job in West Florida. If you are enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to go over to iTunes and hit five-star for rate. If you have a minute, please write a review. It helps the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski and follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com.